The following podcast contains spoilers and adult language. We recommend watching the movie beforehand, but hey, that isn't your bag? No worries. You do you. Brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all proceeds after hosting costs will go towards actual manatee habitat preservation, because we like to pay it forward by giving back. Enjoy the show. I've heard of and mostly I think I've watched Superman okay that's another one I've seen The Exorcist yeah seen that one that was a good one every once in a while you have a movie that seems so good nothing will top it but then the sequel just Plan blows it out of the water. The Empire Strikes Back. Welcome to Thunderdome. Terminator 2. Godfather 2. Silence of the Lambs. The Exorcist to the Heretic. <laughs> this movie. I mean, look. I'll, I'll agree that it blows the first movie out of the water, but. not in the way that people are thinking. <laughs> Described so the director of The Exorcist 1, William Friedkin, upon seeing this movie, calls this movie, and I quote, just a stupid mess made by a dumb guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a direct quote. <laughs> uh, 
The Exorcist, 19, er, The Exorcist 2, The Heretic, 1977, has a 15% tomato meter. Generous. 13% audience appreciation. Slightly less generous, but still generous. 3.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Very generous. And on Amazon.com, when you look up the Blu-ray, it has 4.5 stars. <laughs> God damn it. Go look now. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> How? Release that. Release that blue or I don't know if they have different we're, ones for like streaming or whatever. Were people just enamored but, uh, with the special features? How? I don't think Amazon's platform supports other ratings. <laughs> I don't think there's a way to to give it four or five or anything else. I'm just I'm 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 dumbstruck. The budget of this movie is $14 million and grossed $30 million, so technically not a flop. Mm -hmm. But it was recut twice during screening because audiences were so bad. <laughs> Which also occurs to me, I, we didn't specify a version. We might have seen two completely different versions, and like they're 45 minutes difference between the two. Really? Uh, or between three. Oh my god. Yeah, like one's the international one is like 20, 20 minutes shorter, and then the director's one is 15 minutes longer than the original or something. Hmm. So, like, how long was the one you saw? The one I watched was an hour and 57 minutes. Okay, so we probably watched the same version, because mine was about two hours, like, the full. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's three versions out there. Uh, hmm. Is a thing I learned after watching this and not communicating to you for the whole discussion. <laughs> By the way, I just had to look it up. Um, the the streaming version of The Exorcist 2 on Amazon is 3.9 out of 5 stars. Whoa. So it's basically trash. Okay. So but the Blu-ray is four and a half I stars. Mean, I keep, 
Yeah. So I keep making fun of this rating system, but it goes as low as basically four out of five. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit, there's only one Blu-ray left in stock for Exorcist 3. I gotta buy it right now. Grab it, it's only $30. Wait, no. Even better. I can buy a VHS copy of it for $14.57. No way. I would buy this movie on VHS, yeah. mostly because they don't have a VCR. I think I mean, it seems like the best way to, to watch it would be have to be on VHS. Now, I got a hold of, I think they're legitimate. It, it's weird we try to find things on this movie because it's so old and so many people have written articles about it that, like, finding something official is sort of a guess. <laughs> I think... I think I found on the internet only available in like one place, so who knows. The official press notes that Warner Brothers put out during it. Mm -hmm. uh, and John Borman, the director, says that the problem is the audience. Right. Quote. The audiences couldn't accept the secondary reality the picture suggests that the ending all happens at perhaps a fraction of time. Which is pretty fair. I didn't get it. <laughs> so. I think most people didn't get it. I'm gonna... I'm gonna read every once in a while from the press notes, but you know what, like, press notes for movie you should like, that's just sort of when you put out, like, what it's about, and get people excited about it, and have, like, tagline. Yeah. Uh, the press notes for this movie, uh, contain sentences like, a developed human being, as he slightly pointed out, is not merely a, mere, a more highly individualized individual. He has crossed the threshold of self-consciousness to a new mode of thought, and the result has achieved some degree of conscious integration, iteration of the self with the outer world of men and nature integration of the separate elements of self with each other. He is a person and an organ which transcendent individuality and personality. So... This, this was John Borman who said this, right? I, I have no idea. Oh. It's the official... Uh, maybe. Because I was just going to say, if it was the director who who said that, uh, John Borman is the same person who directed Deliverance. So, 
take from that what you will. Also, Zardoz. Yeah, I want to see that if for no other reason than to see Sean Connery in a thong. Don't think too hard about that. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. But, yeah, no, that's, um, that's a whole bunch of existential bullshit. He, he thinks he's doing something with this movie. Yeah. There's definitely some stuff that he thinks is just sort of surface <laughs> this film. Which, in fairness, might be, because I have half a Master of Fine Arts uh, in rhetoric and theory, and I turn my brain off whenever I hear one or two sentences of it. So, frankly, it might have all been there, and I just bleeped it out. I mean, to brain. be fair, I did basically shut my brain off approximately three minutes into this movie. So, you know, I, I wasn't particularly paying very close attention either. Um, I also wonder... How I'm sure he was on all of the drugs when he when he directed this movie because, well, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to all everything, but <laughs> like, do you have? Believe they have to be on drugs in order to understand the movie. Is that like a thing? I think so. Okay. Well, no, I mean, it, it, it's simple. Listen, the problem is you're a dummy. Because it's very simple. According to the press notes, believing that man and nature would eventually achieve a oneness with God, Teilhard agreed with Nietzsche's view that man is unfinished and must be surpassed or completed. Teilhard sought to link the evolution of man with the concept of energy in his context what he called psychic energy. Most crucially, as Huxley points out, Teilhard had a conviction of the supreme importance of personality. So, it's just that you weren't paying attention. I mean, I'm paying attention to the fact that there's someone named Teelheart, and now I'm thinking there's some sort of, like, medieval superhero. That's what I get out of that. Well, the, the writer of this movie is a guy named William Goodhart. Oh. Okay. That's a good name. That is. That'd be a great name for like a paladin or something. William Goodhart also wrote three things ever. Exorcist to the Heretic, but also... 
Generation in 1969 and Cloud Dancer in 1980. And that is it. Hmm. I don't know either of the other ones. But okay. No, but I... On our own, okay, we want to watch Cloud Dancer now. <laughs> Generation, whatever. Cloud Dancer has a psychedelic looking cover, and I'm into it. Hmm. Alright. Written by William Goldhart, directed by John Gorman of, as we mentioned, Zardoz and Deliverance fame. He also did uh, Excalibur, which I've seen and recall kind of liking but kind of not getting, which tracks. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a lot of other things. He's produced like 30 things, he's directed 31 things. He's had a career. Cool. It is starring Richard Burton in all his puffy, sweaty glory. I. I. Uh, okay. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no. <laughs> Get, by all means, share your opinions of Richard Burton. No, he is, like, very puffy and very sweaty, and I love him. <laughs> he would later die of alcoholism at the age of 58, so this is an actual, uh, in 1984. He's actually not doing too well in this movie. It wasn't just my imagination. I had to look it up afterwards. I was wondering, because it's like, he, he was like a very well-respected, like, Shakespearean actor, right? He was like incredibly well-received yeah. on stage and, and early on in the scrum on the silver screen and then it's also I think the lead of Beckett and he was in a Who's Afraid Virginia Wolf and some some real classics like he's he's good but he, he's got that that telltale head much bigger than his body should have thing and he is very sweaty. I think he's not doing good. Yeah, it sounds like it wasn't if he if he died just a few years later from alcoholism. Yeah. Yeah, it comes across a little bit. There's that there's that puffiness uh, several of my uncles have, <laughs> I know it, but, uh, I'm okay, because all of my alcohol is, uh, mixed with Irish cream, so it should be fine. Oh, yeah. No, that's no problem at all. For calories and nutrients. <laughs> uh, 
Linda Blair, who just, to me, she just looks exactly like Amy Schumer. I can't get it out of my head. I, you know, I didn't even think about that. Now I can't stop thinking about it. Great. It's real close, right? Yeah, it's closer than I would have expected. To th- I, I wouldn't have thought about that until just now. But yeah. Yeah, so she, Linda Blair, of course, you know, from The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And she's been in apparently like a lot of other things, just mostly B-movies and horror movies that I haven't seen. Um, but she's out there, and she's had a long career. She's been in 76 things. Um, I only know her from The Exorcist because I don't generally watch things like Hell Night, Savage Streets, or Roller Boogie, but she's in all of them. I want to see all of those. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind having a uh, uh, Linda Blair Tober <laughs> tradition. I'd be down. Oh. Probably should have mentioned this at the top. Uh, we're doing a horror movie, of course, because it's October, or as I like to call it, Scary Tober. That's got a that's got a nice ring to it. Because everybody uses Spooktober, so I've got a co-found version, but... Yeah. Maybe I'll workshop it some more. <laughs> Next year we'll get a good one. Come up with a real good name for it. Scary Tober, Spooky Tober, no. Choctober? Choctober? Chop, like chopping, like, you know, like what Jason Voorhees did, like chopping people up. I don't know. No one gets chopped in this movie, though. Yeah. Also, there's no exorcism in this movie. (laughs) There's, there's barely any horror in the movie. <laughs> well, no, there are several attempted in, uh, um, exorcisms in the movie. Just, they all fail. Right. I guess they're all in flashbacks, huh? Yeah. Okay, never mind. I take that yeah. back. There's, there's some exorcisms. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, Shocktober's already been used too, right? By a bunch of people. I feel like it This has. movie is Scarytober. Yeah. Yeah. 
sounds about right. Also starring Louise Fletcher, who will always be Kai Wynn to me because I saw Star Trek Deep Space Nine before I saw one photo of his mask, but she's also Nurse Ratchet, very famously. Yeah, didn't she, like, win a bunch of awards for that? I, I assume. So. She was great in that movie. I, she was also great in that show. She, she, in both roles, and these are the only two I know her in, but she's been in a lot. Uh, she plays a, a really well done, really hateable villain who does just the exact wrong thing with actually fairly good intentions because she's very overconfident and thinks she's doing good things. And I thought that's where she was going to go in this movie, but <laughs> turns out she was just plain right most of the time. <laughs> so it was fine. Yeah. Uh, Max von Sydow. I, I forget which ones we've actually done, because I know that we we tried to judge Red and the audio might have messed up, so he may or may not be Matt and Manatee alumni. But he's been Flash Gordon, Seventh Seal, Cone the Barbarian, Judge Red. One of the new Star Wars movies, he's the old man at the beginning of the new trilogy, if that's the only movie you've ever seen, which I feel like some of you that is. And, <laughs> uh, just a hundred things, he's dead now, I love him. He, uh, he was wearing old man makeup in Exorcist 1. And then a young man's skin stretched over his face in Exorcist <laughs> 2 to be flashbacks of a younger version of the character he played several years before in real life. It's very strange. He was like um, like an Emperor Palpatine sort of deal. Yeah, although that one actually went pretty well. Well... With the prequels, I think it went pretty well. Yeah. Because, like... Because you put him in mummy makeup when he's 20, and then put him in regular makeup when he's 50, and be like, this is before he turned into a mummy. It's like, okay. <laughs> but, you know... Kind of works. Yeah. This one, not Sorry, so much. Kitty... No. Well, I mean, I mean, it's uh, not the problem. Yeah, no. There's many problems. I, I don't think his face is one of them. No, no, definitely not. Uh, starring Kitty Wynn. She is Sharon the Exorcist. She's in God Help Bobby and Helen. 
I haven't seen anything else she's in except for The Exorcist. Uh, much like Linda Blair, but she also has a career. Alright. And... Sorry? No, I just said alright. That was it. And James Earl Jones. Do you know him as the, uh, sort of villainous but complicated father figure to the young hero uh, who has to sort of overcome him and, and, and come into his own in the famous film uh, Coming to America? Yeah, exactly. That's what he's most fit. He's also a complicated father figure to a young hero who has to sort of uh, overcome his his reputation, come into his own in The Lion King. Mm-hmm. But then he plays sort of a complicated father figure uh, to the young hero who has to sort of overcome and come into his own in Star Wars. So he's got a lot of range. Star what now? I'm just kidding. Shampoo Jones is great. He's also <laughs> not for October. Field Dreams, Doctor Strange, Love, Long Gone, Far Away. I love him. Uh, Isn't it? But he's also got the perfect dad voice now and forever. Doesn't it blow your mind that The Exorcist 2 and Star Wars came out in the same year? Yeah, and he had other stuff to do, <laughs> Like, I, I don't... I don't know if there are any... There are probably other actors who have such a huge gulf between... Like, if they do two movies that have such as huge of a gulf between them, quality-wise, as James Earl Jones does with... Star Wars and Exorcist 2. Like, although, uh, I'll give him this, like, he at least didn't have to be there for Star Wars. He's a voiceover. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like they only really need him for like two days in this movie. Because he appears on one set and then one other set, which are both obviously sound stages, mm-hmm. for overall like three or four minutes of the movie, I think. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed because I, I was expecting more James Earl Jones in this film. I mean, we got. We got shirtless James Earl Jones, which is quite a lot, but it was, I think, I feel like I was hoping for more of him just being on the screen. 
So I was kind of disappointed yeah, I, in that. So I haven't seen this movie in like 20 years. And I was looking at pictures before choosing it for this movie is Scary Tober special. And in this movie he appears both in like a doctor lab coat and in just it's like a locust wrestling costume. <laughs> kind of kind of, yeah. And I was really hoping, I had no memory of this, no reason to think it. I was just hoping against hope that uh, he played a character who had a secret identity, which was this <laughs> lack of guy, but that he would occasionally go and dress as a horrible locust exercise people <laughs> this did not happen instead we got a very different movie but I would watch the shit out of that one soul in my head <laughs> and I think that's all the casting that I wrote down there are obviously other people in this movie um, oh the, the, the beaties are in it Ned Beatty, who I only know from Superman, <laughs> but he's been in a bunch of things, uh, is in here for like also even less than two minutes. Yeah, he's. As a random jolly pilot. Yeah. And his wife at the time, Belinda Beatty, is a very pretty nurse who doesn't say enough has only ever been in Deliverance, and I don't think any other movies, although let me double check. Hmm. Oh no, she's been a lot of She's been in nine things. Okay. She was in... She was uncredited a lot, and she's in a lot of single episodes TV. That's why. She's uncredited in the Marcus Nelson Murrows. She's uncredited in Nashville. She's uncredited in Jaws Revenge. She's in one episode of CBS School Break Special. One episode of Murrows she wrote. One episode of The Young Doctors. And Deliverance. And this. Oh, she's uncredited in the Glitter Dome. I don't know what that is, but I, I just like want to see that. It's very skinny 70s face. I like her. Yeah. God, so this movie. <laughs> uh huh. Originally, one of the, the people considered for Richard Burton's role. And I don't think Richard Burton is the problem either. But he does seem to be kind of struggling in this movie. <laughs> Apparently, one of the original casting 
notions was Christopher Walken. And... Yes. I would have changed nothing else. I think that would have really worked this movie. I don't know what he was like in 77. I know that you take Christopher Walken from the mid-90s in the prophecy and drop in this movie. It's my favorite movie. <laughs> That'd be everyone's favorite movie. <laughs> that is probably not what they were going to do. But if they had, yes. Other options were Jack Nicholson and David Carradine. Uh, if you took David Carradine from 2010 from this movie, <laughs> also yes. I have no idea in 77. Uh, Jack Nicholson would be a very different movie. I don't know. Yeah. So this movie, I think kind of almost single-handedly changed the the studio grab to make sequels as quickly as possible to things for the money. I can see why. But also sort of result in this new trend, not new at this point, but it has been ever since, of never ever letting directors have that much of a their own direction on films like the the studios maintain tight control over IP rights of things and then having a lot of demands on the directors wasn't as big a thing before this era, and I think this movie probably had a lot to do with it. We're like, whoa, okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> We're not just gonna get someone like John Bourne be like, hey, you made a good movie. Do you want to make this one? We trust you. Don't! <laughs> so they're not doing that anymore. Just kind of too bad. Yeah, but I kind of understand the same way, because, like, well, I mean, this this was probably just, we don't know if this would have necessarily continued had, um, like, if this one had, obviously, this one bombed pretty badly. But there's no guarantee that that would have continued happening with other directors if they had continued to have, like, the same sort of role that they had. I don't know if I'm saying that very well. If that makes any sense. No, I mean... No, it's true. It's just the, uh... I think people realize... I also think that people were worried it was going to, like, tarnish reputations of other movies. I don't think it has. Like, I think people still think of The Exorcist as a really good movie. 
uh, and just sort of pretend this one didn't happen. Poetry is novelty. Like it's, you know, like Star Wars fans, you know, you can just do that, right? <laughs> like, you can. <laughs> Sequels don't ruin the original thing that much, but I think they, at the time, think, oh no, the Exorcist franchise is now bad. I think the Exorcist franchise probably is pretty bad. There's like three others that came after it, and no one cares about them. But, uh, the first one's so great. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people kind of forget about is just the fact that just because one part of a series is bad does not make the series as a whole bad. So, it's a good one. Yeah, like, you don't have to, like, you don't have to, like, Whatever J.J. Abrams' new one is, I don't even remember the names. Because, like, Empire Strikes Back is committed to film as long as no one, like, you know, destroys the originals and edits them or something. Fuck. (laughs) 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 Like, 30 years late on that one? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> well, I don't know why I'm talking about Star Wars so much. It's just because James Earl Jones and Max von Sydow are both here. Yeah. Okay, okay. So this movie starts pretty strong. And that it's all black with red text, and I like that. Yeah. There's weird yell singing over the intro, which sounds a little bit like a Native American rain dance for like half a second before it kind of just devolves into something else. It kind of devolves into someone trying to do their best Axl Rose impression sounded like to me. Just like weird screeching and all that sort of stuff. Like, I know that it's supposed to be unsettling, but it kind of just becomes irritating. Yeah. Like, it it missed the mark a little bit, which is weird because it's Ennio Morricone who's doing the soundtrack for this. Yeah. And he's great, so it's it's strange that it missed the mark. But then a couple songs later on are actually really good, so it's like I don't I don't know what was going on there. Maybe they I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But no, I I I will I'll spoil I'll spoil this for you. My favorite part of the entire movie was the song that played over the end credits. Uh, that was actually a really nice song. 
Yeah, they they reused that one in uh, Hateful Eight, I think. Oh, okay. As a one of Neil Morricone's like ten best. Hmm. Um, my favorite part of the movie is, of course, Boxfire. But we'll get to that. <laughs> because it is known as one of the worst movies ever. I didn't think that could be true because I know people used to grade things much more harshly in the time before, like, you know, so bad it's good as a, as a genre. Um, it is. It's legit one of the worst movies ever made, so I don't want to be too mean to it, but it's... <laughs> like, you can find things to enjoy about this movie. I, I, I love pieces of it. I think it could have been about 40 minutes long, and they shouldn't have tied it to The Exorcist at all. But it has some things that I like. I'm gonna try to focus on those. Okay. They're rare. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'll, I'm curious what they are, but we'll we'll get to that when we get to them, I guess. Well, what what did you think overall? Cause like, cause you have you seen this before? Or was this your first time ever? This was my first time seeing the movie, and um, I would like to request that if we end up doing any more bad movies, that we do. So bad they're good movies, not so bad they make me never want to watch another film again movies. That's fair, that's fair. So, I mean, yeah. But, but it, did, it had exactly enough, like, nuggets in it that I didn't... Like, two hours is a long time for a movie that I'm, like, super bored by, and I wasn't super bored by it. I didn't think it was good, but there was enough, like, weird, why would you even do that stuff that I wasn't, like, you know, pausing and going for a walk or anything. <laughs> Yeah, I I just sort of had to power through it. Like I said, I, I checked out roughly four or five minutes into the movie because like I we've we we've watched a few really bad movies on this on this podcast. Yes. I do think this is better than Tomb Raider. I would disagree. Whoa, okay. Yeah, 
but I mean that's mostly just because it took me maybe 10 or 15 minutes to check out of Tomb Raider. It took me less than that to check out of this movie. So, but anyway, that's that was the main reason why. Fair enough. No, that, that's interesting to me, but I, uh... Okay, so we, like, n neither of us, for the record, there's not a lot of disagreement here. Neither of us is saying this is a good movie, <laughs> but... Well, we'll talk about it. There's, there's some things that I, uh, I've never seen anything like this. Which, I guess, makes it interesting for a novelty reason if nothing else. Where I feel like I have seen some bad sci-fi original movies that are basically Tomb Raider, you know? Yeah. That's fair. Although, I, although I have a feeling that probably the reason you haven't seen anything else kind of like this is because no one else has bothered to try to do anything like this since then. Well, yeah, but, but there are a lot of weird, like, 60s and 70s true movies that are, like... Also... Well, I don't know. It's no holy mountain, but it's, uh... <laughs> okay. Have you, have you seen that one? I've never heard of it. Oh, it's, it's the one where you get to see... Is it Ringo Starr? His whole butthole. Jesus. No, no, he... Sorry, that's the one he refused to do because the lead actor was going to have to show this whole butthole. That's slightly so different. He was going to start Ringo Star, but didn't. Yeah, I, I have to... God, I've got to revisit that one. Anyway... There's there's a whole genre of like movies you're supposed to watch on shrooms that came out in the sixties and seventies. I think this is one why they made that sequel to the Exorcist, I do not know. <laughs> but it's you know, it's 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 interesting. It's got it's got an all-star cast. There's nothing wrong with the people they got for this. It's just it's like watching car accident between two really nice cars, you know. <laughs> for two hours. Yeah, driven by people you really like. Just <laughs> whoa. This is not entertainment. <laughs> so, finally get a scene uh, after the, the, the red text on black. I thought they were in outer space. They're actually kids in the air and <laughs> or something. 
It's like a weird tunnel full of lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are just Christmas lights. There's there's blinky lights and a screamy lady. And they all praying. And one's angry. Mm-hmm. And apparently, because in the first movie, you know, it's a relatively realistic, like it's our world, but holy shit, exorcisms are real, and this guy's funny for the first time. In this one, exorcists are just like a kind of priest that goes around the world doing the exorcisms because they're so common. And this is one. This lady says in Spanish, why me, I heal the sick. And I have accidentally guessed the entire plot. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a bad sign for my <laughs> But at least I didn't know I'd guessed the whole plot for another 40 minutes. <laughs> That's something. She, uh... She grabs and throws a bunch of candles in a very preventable fashion on the floor. Hmm. No one prevents her, and then she holds perfectly still and turns to wax and burns. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, in Star Makers... (laughs) (laughs) this this girl with no pants and no bra who's playing characters supposed to be like 16 is tap dancing to saxophone uh and Borman is a creep I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of comes up later, but kind of doesn't. Regan does tap dancing now. Yep. And apparently, she had to learn to tap dance for the movie. Because it was such an integral part of the plot. Yeah. That she had to pick up this whole skill to do it. See, it's not. It's not a part of the plot. She doesn't, like, tap dance her way out of a velociraptor nest or anything later. I mean, it's not quite that dramatic, but I mean... No, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not plot-centric, but it's definitely, like, it's a thing that happens later. It's a, it's a thing to get her on stage once. Yeah. But, uh, she also could have been doing literally anything else at the time. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to defend the choice at all. I'm just saying. It's the end. No, no, I just, uh... Between this and some of the clothes choices later on, 
for both her and Kitty Wynn. I get skeeved out a little bit. <laughs> Especially because I don't know how the actress is, but the character is definitely coming off like a teenager. She has a nanny, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, okay. So, but then, all of a sudden, we're in a cyber beehive that is also an asylum, but also a hotel, but also a therapist's office. I don't know exactly what the outfit is. <laughs> They keep saying it's like, cause she's, cause she's a doctor. She's like a psychiatrist who acts like a therapist. But it also, it's got an inception machine in it, and also. And this is where I checked out of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, they have a machine that hypnotizes two people and lets them psychically synchronize with each other. It's like, all right, I'm out. Which, don't get me wrong, that has been cool movies before. Like, I liked Inception. I don't like Inception as much as people like like Inception, but I liked Inception. Uh, I liked The Cell, if you ever saw that one. Mm, I haven't seen that one. Uh, like, this is a sci-fi concept you can build a movie out of. I don't know why it's in The Exorcist. Yeah. And also, I don't know why they do it with, like, strobe lights and a headband that doesn't seem to get lined up right, <laughs> but it's fine. So the cyber beehive, it's, it's a fucking cool building. I like the building. Yeah, it's got, like, weird hexagonal ceiling tiles and then a bunch of just glass walls throughout that like what the the set is actually doing is turning off all the lights except for in the room that you're in but what it looks like is there windows that you can make dark with a button or something it's cool. I don't know why you would have that sort of decor in like a like a children's psychiatric institute. Because and I don't get why. Because it's there. Yeah. Because they can. They're going to spend most of the movie in this room, so you know why it's been <laughs> all your budget here. But uh, Nurse Ratch is there, and she's talking to Regan. She's like, hey, 
Were you in the Exorcist? And Regan's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... <laughs> And see, that's what. <laughs> that's the movie, everyone. Whoa. Is that real? She has to explain, like, no, but in The Exorcist, this is what happens. <laughs> uh, to the therapist. Reminds of the whole first movie, which. You shouldn't do if you're gonna then do this with the rest of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Nurse Ratchet has an inception machine, and she's like, we're gonna attack the bad dreams the first exorcist. You were too young to see that movie, and it's stuck in your head. <laughs> And this is an important thing to note. She's very, yes, what we need to do is get you to remember these things so you can deal with them. My motivation as a character, me, Nurse Ratchet, the, the therapist, is to get you, Regan, the character, to remember these things. That's what I'm trying to do in my introductory scene. That's important. Remember that. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Vatican? Uh, Maybe? Quote-unquote Vatican, yeah. I think... Is this guy the Pope or a bishop? He's got a, like a mitre. I think he's... I think they said he was a cardinal. A cardinal. Which I don't... I don't know the... Uh, I don't know the... The order, the hierarchy when it comes to Catholicism. But I, I imagine that cardinal is kind of high up there. Well, that must be why he's wearing red, right? Uh, I guess why, so. That's what make him... That's what me he cardinal. Yeah. That and, that and the very large silly hat. I suppose. It's just like colonial era soldiers hanging out. I think so. <laughs> like, the, like the bodyguards have those really high-waisted, like, spandex white pants that they love so much. I'll be honest, I didn't really pay that close attention to the to the outfits in this movie. What? Well, I know there's like the the. Uh, what are they called? The Swiss Royal Guard? Swiss Honor Guard? They have cool guards at the Vatican who wear these like ridiculous yellow and blue felt uh, diamond pattern actually made with different patches of cloth 
thing in Carrie Halberd's, and I love that. Hmm. Um, this guy was not one of them. I don't know what this guy was. So, this cardinal explains to the main character priest that he doesn't have to go do an exorcism. He's just supposed to go watch the exorcist one and tell him what happens. <laughs> because he doesn't know what happened to the priest that died in the exorcist one, which was like four years ago at this point. And apparently people are shitting on its reputation now. So he's like, I need you to go watch the exorcist and tell me what happens in it. And he's like, I don't want to. But then suddenly cut to him going. <laughs> and we we missed the part where he's convinced to go. <laughs> well, I don't think he was convinced to go. He was ordered to go. Like you, uh, I, yeah, but I, I mean, I guess his his uh, his duty to his his faith is greater than his duty to his self himself. I don't know, something like that. But isn't he the titular heretic, or is that someone else? I mean, I think the whole idea behind it was that he was supposed to be questioning his faith. So I guess technically he would be the heretic, but they don't really do a very good job of explaining it. So, yeah, well, apparently he's a, he's a professional exorcist in a way, because that's just an elite Catholic unit now, <laughs> but... <laughs> so, new exorcist, exorcist 2, I'm gonna call him, because I don't remember the character's name, father or something. I, I keep forgetting, I was like, Lambert or Lippet or something. Lamont? Yeah, that sounds about right. I was about to say Lumpy. Yeah, he's got the same name as the bad guy from Jackie Chan Adventures. Oh. Oh, yeah. That, that was Valmont, right? Oh, you're right. Okay. Why don't I remember that? I've been calling him Dick Burton. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. That's who he is. Sounds good to me. And, and he's very cool and magnificently puffy. <laughs> so, Dick Burton. <laughs> and Reagan meet at minute like 12? Yeah. Therapist lady 
who, again, remember, she's the one who's like, listen, my main goal is to get Reagan to remember these memories. And Priest comes in like, hey, I need Reagan to remember these memories. She's like, we can't do that. It'll destroy her. <laughs> and Priest's like, bitch, didn't you see the exorcist? This is demon thing. <laughs> And she's like, no, I didn't see The Exorcist. <laughs> uh, so they get this weird argument about how evil's real, and it's real with mental illness, because he's a priest. And Reagan busts in, it's like, it's okay, we can watch The Exorcist together. <laughs> like... <laughs> I just met this guy, but let's all, let's all do that. And I don't get why she wants him to be there, or how he even gets into this place. Because he's definitely a weirdo, and I would not let him into my children's hospital. But... I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that he's a priest and people were still trusting a priest back in the 70s. Oof, yeah. Mm. Yeah, maybe. And, but then we have to take a quick break because we're not going to watch the exorcist right now. Because first, we need a random scene where Reagan pretends to bend spoons to mess with. <laughs> Someone. It was, took me like three scenes to remember was in the first movie. Yeah, because they have to establish the fact that Reagan has an interest in like ESP and psychic powers and things, and they're sitting down at the dinner table and they're watching some TV show about that about bending spoons and then Reagan like shows her guardian whatever that she's like oh that's easy to do and then she bends the spoon and you know all that sort of thing so well but according to again those those release notes or those press notes. This scene is there because this scene clearly explains the audience the premise of the film. It's clearly dummy. The reason we didn't get this is that we didn't pay enough attention during the spoon scene. Because it states what we're about to see is a projection of the mind because what we're seeing takes place in the mind, physically only takes place in a fraction of a second for those not in the mind link, which is why no one sees or hears the locust swarm or the house explode at the end of the film. It's made only notice of people in the mind link. Something, something. He cites a book called Mind Reach by Harold Puthoff. Hmm. 
and Russell Targ. I really appreciate being antagonized and being talked down to by press releases for movies. Really makes me want... If we didn't like this movie, it's because we're bad people. Yeah, exactly. It really (laughs) makes me appreciate and, uh, and respect the people who made this movie. Because, you know, it's like if, if someone's, you know, blatantly insulting me and saying, you're stupid and you don't understand why this movie is so great, it's like, oh yeah, no, I definitely like the movie now. I feel, so, I'm, I'm editorializing a little bit. Uh, it just, in defense of the movie, I'm the one who keeps putting the word dumb and I hope you know that's I mean I feel like you don't need to but yeah that makes sense it's like it's kind of implied like you big dummy like just so you know that's that's what I feel they're saying, not what they're actually saying. Yeah, no, it, it feels it feels pretty, pretty, pretty clear cut that that's what they're saying. Is like, uh, don't you get it, you dumbass? This is so obvious. Like we had a random scene about bending spoons. So you would know that nothing is real. <laughs> Duh. Like, alright, alright. <laughs> alright. Then suddenly we're back and picking up exactly where we left off because that scene was very awkwardly cut <laughs> in. <laughs> Nurse Rash is telling the priest, like, can't do these things that I've been advocating for because she might hurt herself and then she's like, okay, fine, show me the exorcist. So, (laughs) they do this dramatic back and forth. This is an unkind shot because they make um... Linda Blair sit dressed in front of the camera and go cross-eyed for like <laughs> I don't know, like two or three minutes. It's a bit much. Yeah. Uh, they're going back and forth, this dramatic silly little light in these headbands. This is when I look at the clock and I was rolling 19 minutes into the film and I'm in a lot of trouble. We're, we're not even that far <laughs> in. I actually had to check and see how long this entire scene lasted. It goes from 14 minutes into the film to 25 minutes into the film. This scene is 11 minutes long. <laughs> And it, it's a long it, it feels like it's three hours long. 
that's kind of that's one of my main issues with this movie is that there are there are several scenes in this movie that go just for significantly longer than they need to and just like it just they just drag so much every single time and this was the first of many because like I said it they could have done this whole thing in like two minutes, this entire scene. It could have taken like two minutes to sort of establish the idea of this synchronizer thing and the fact that two people can sort of become psychically linked to each other by matching their tones and making the lights flash at the same speed. And they could have done that in like two minutes, but they drag it out over 10 minutes and it's just, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I, and the only thing that happened in this scene is like the really dramatic retelling of The Exorcist 1, but without like the cool special effects or camera angles, it's like a side shot of Max von Sydow on the left, apparently stand-in for Linda Blair on the right, <laughs> and just talking back and forth until Max von Sydow dies of a heart attack. <laughs> but there's like, there's a part in the scene where, cause it's, it's the, um, cause it's, it's Nurse Ratched and Reagan are initially doing this. And then like when they show the scene where Max von Sydow and Linda Blair Stanton are, are having their issues, and it's like the doctor starts like having a heart attack. Yeah, because such a scary scene, they're remembering Exorcist 1's heart attack gives us Exorcist 2's heart attack. Yeah. But instead of, like, dis, you know, disengaging her, not disengaging, like, taking the, taking the device off of the doctor, they just say, we have to go in and save her, instead of, like, taking her to the hospital or to the emergency well, they room. Take it off. They take the headset off Reagan, so I don't know where this memory is coming from anymore. Yeah, well, cause I, cause like, I, I, like, I guess from what I could figure out, which was not much, it seemed like Reagan had like transferred 
part of the memory to Nurse Ratchet, and then it was, she got stuck in the memory, and apparently Reagan couldn't bring her back, so they had uh, Dickie B get uh, strapped on the, he, that was uh, phrasing, sorry, um, they had him, st- I mean, yeah, no, they, uh, he, he strapped on the, the synchronizer thing, immediately got his tone close to hers, so he could view the same thing she was viewing, and even though he was supposedly hypnotized, he was able to bring her out of it, out of the, out of the scene. Just goes through the no trains like whatever. I've seen the exorcist take this, and he does. <laughs> like, what is happening? Yeah, because you know, out of the the three or four, and this is a this seems to be another recurring recurring theme of this movie. The women are useless, and it's just the man who can fix everything. Because he, like, immediately saves her life and brings her back from the brink of death or something. So. Yeah, well, yes, but in its slight defense... Every man is also useless except for Burton twice. (laughs) So there's that at least. Like, it does seem pretty sexist initially until you remember, so is everybody. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Yeah, okay. Just... Just go to his defense on that one thing. Like, yes, but. <laughs> That's all. Uh, equipment specialist. I forget her name. That's the one I thought I recognized, but she actually been in very few movies. So now we get. I think the best parts of this movie, which are redone clips from the first movie, (laughs) you get a bunch of close-ups of a heart being squeezed by hand, Mm -hmm. and then uh, Burton saves the day by telling Nurse Rash to forget about Exorcist 1. <laughs> she does. <laughs> so then Reagan's like, okay, well that happened. I'm gonna go draw. <laughs> and just wanders <laughs> into the next room. 
she is so, she's like frighteningly upbeat during this entire movie. I mean, I get why, but I mean, I would be too. It's like, I got a locust god in me. I'm going to hang out with some kids, whatever. <laughs> like, it's pretty cool. My self seem to be pretty high. <laughs> so then this poor actor, the burden, I mean, has to look direct to the camera and tells this is very interesting. <laughs> Like, we're gonna believe it. <laughs> then he sees this picture that he thinks is of himself, starts muttering to himself, and drags her trash to the basement. What's interesting about this part is this wasn't actually in the script. The, the picture just really fucked with Dick Burton. So they just sort of size roll with it. Hmm. That's not true. How? That I just... Yeah. It'd be hard to tell, actually. I mean, I was gonna say, like, apparently this movie was rewritten so many times during production that I would have believed that. So this picture, uh -huh. it's of him and there's fire in it. For, and I watched this scene twice, near as I can tell, literally no reason he decides it's a vision she had of the future. She doesn't say this is gonna happen. She He's just like, oh my god, she can tell the future. Oh my god, so he runs down to the basement and the single cardboard box is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so he beats it with a crush until the entire vicinity is on fire with pieces of the cardboard box. <laughs> Rasher runs away to call the police before fetching the fire extinguisher, which is right the hell there. <laughs> and it is my favorite scene in the movie. Because, A, he is magnificently sweaty. B, He's wearing this ridiculous suit the whole time that you like, can't move your arms much in. Mm -hmm. So he's just sort of boxily <laughs> not really hitting it very hard with the crutch, which C doesn't even block oxygen. It's a framework <laughs> object. I don't know, I love it so. And it's one box is just on fire inside the box. Not even like, like 
the whole cargo place isn't on fire, and the box itself is on fire. There's fire in the box instead of moving on the concrete away from other fuel and just washing it. They tear it apart with the crutch and set the entire place on fire. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, there's a random scene of Down Syndrome kids laughing in the fire truck. <laughs> and then we see that Burton's on oxygen. He didn't actually get hurt in the fire at all. The paramedics just showed up and took a look at him and decided he must have been the reason they were there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it wasn't. And then we get my favorite line of the movie, which is, and I wrote this down, your machine has proven scientifically that there's an ancient demon locked within her. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And... Like, do you seriously get nothing else from me? Because that line alone, I want to make a ringtone. No, that, that's, that's like the dumbest shit. That, that's definitely gotta be like the high point of this entire this movie. Is that, that line? I also be the high point of the decade of cinema, though. <laughs> <laughs> Your machine has proved scientifically that there's an ancient demon locked within her, and it didn't even. It proved she had nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> what a movie. I, I love it. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of coming around to this show movie just recalling it, honestly. So they walk to the end of the block and then talk back and forth in front of a really obvious blue screen of the, the New York skyline because mm -hmm. they couldn't feel outside or something. Hmm. And then cut to Reagan asleep in her billion dollar New York <laughs> apartment <laughs> which is on the roof of the Time Warp building made out of like glass and chrome and has like pigeon cubes and I don't know 2,000 square feet or something <laughs> but also no railing. 
she's dreaming she's on a soundstage in Africa where there's locusts and a man spinning a rope whistle trying to scare them off. And then she sleepwalks out to her balcony that has a big hole in the railing at the corner so that someone can fall off. Mm-hmm. And then then Shannon, the roommate slash parent slash sister slash nanny slash lover? I don't know why she's here exactly. Is going to DC for reasons. So she wakes her up to tell her and then like she almost falls off into the building which apparently was actually just them filming, filming the actor almost walk off the edge of the building. I'm creeped out again because he's wearing this like sheer nightgown that I think they got a little damp or something on purpose. It's a bit much. Again, this character's 15 or something. I don't know why we're doing this. I also don't know why we're suddenly on a soundstage in Africa. And also they had some footage of Africa later, so why not just go on location and film somewhere that isn't obviously a soundstage? <laughs> I don't understand any of this. I mean, the only reason I could think of them not actually going and filming in Africa's budget constraints, but I don't know. But then they did later, or at least they filmed outdoors somewhere that looks like it could have been in Africa later for Ned Beatty to jump off a plane. Yeah. They probably blew a bunch of their budget on that one scene. They probably blew off their budget on this fucking apartment. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. My god. I forget what her parents do for a living. Do you remember from the first movie? Like, cause... That she had that house in Georgetown, which was nice, but wasn't like billion dollar New York skyscraper. Nice. No. Yeah, I, I don't remember. It's it's been too long since I've seen the first movie, so I couldn't tell you. Okay, so this, this man spinning rope to scare off the locusts is going to be very important for reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, Shannon's going to D.C. also for reasons. But meets with the priest at the set of Exodus 1 near the famous steps from the Joker. I've actually been on those steps. They're really steep and it hurts. 
And the priest is like, okay, now, please explain the exorcist to me. <laughs> She's like, okay. I was a character in it, and this is the bedroom for the exorcist one. And he's like, cool, then go back to the beehive. Yeah, I, um, it seemed that was, okay. This is another problem that this movie has, is, is this, uh, the, uh, the scenes either go on way too long, or they end well before there's any sort of, like, movement forward in the plot like like he goes they go to the house they walk around for a couple minutes they, the um, what's her name explains to Dickie B what's going on and then they like walk into the they walk into the room where it happened and he kneels down, he starts to pray, and then they immediately cut the scene before they, like, say, did he, like, do anything there? Did he learn anything? Did he see anything? Did he, like, yeah, I mean, did he, did he... It shows us there's a Muppet locust in the corner of the room. Mm-hmm. Which, but like, is something. But there's like, but that's it. It's just like, he starts to pray and then it immediately cuts back to whatever the next scene was. I can't remember. I'm looking through my notes and I can't remember where it was. Oh, they're suddenly back at the space beehive. Right. Yes. This is when they're kind of awkwardly flirting, flirting between, like, Nurse Ratchet and the, the priest, where he's just sort of like... They've run out of stuff to talk about, so he's like, So anyway, how's your sex life? <laughs> like, like in the room? <laughs> Remember that movie? I, I actually have not <laughs> seen the room. Ah, oh, seriously? Yeah. It's slightly better than this. Oh, I can imagine so. It's, <laughs> no, it's, it's one of those movies that I, I do want to watch at some point. I just... I just haven't gotten around to seeing it yet. Okay, well, never mind. I, I will continue to make references to it that go entirely <laughs> over my head. <laughs> <That's> cool. Because, <laughs> alright. <laughs> I'm okay with this. They go back to the inception machine at Africa, where Max von Sydow is there, much younger, and like the, the the 
priest from Exorcist 1 is in the Africa dream. He's doing research. And the... One of the villagers, he goes out and he's spinning around the rope whistle, but he falls down and he rolls him over and he's got the makeup from Exodus 1 and says he's Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. But apparently this guy, when he had the rope whistle, he was the only one that could use the rope whistle to drive off locusts. Even though it didn't seem to actually be driving them off because they were still landing all over him, so I don't know what he's doing at all. I think that was sort of explained later on in the film that something about how he was trying to drive away the locusts, but because he was, spoiler alert, a healer, then he was because he was he was good he he's like inherently a good person that even though he was trying to drive away the locust trying to drive away the evil that because he was good he was actually bringing the locusts back towards them because uh good and evil have to coexist somehow, I think, was the whole idea behind that. Well, because good just looks delicious to, to Pazuzu. Oh yeah, exactly. Who's... And this is the first time we hear the word Pazuzu. We're gonna hear it Seven hundred more times, and like it's so. Pazuzu is an actual god in Mesopotamian religion. It's the king of the demons of the wind, brother of Humbaba, which you might remember from the Gilgamesh epic, and the son of the god Hanbi. So this is a real. ancient god which equals demon in like the catholic mythos <laughs> because all other religions are demons <laughs> yeah <laughs> near as I can tell and for all I know it's a cool god like I looked it up exactly long enough to, to know what it was and pick out one reference I remember, which is I think Kumbab is the one that like, Gilgamesh and Enkidu kill. And did I say Gilgamesh? I might have said Beowulf. I get those two mixed up. You said Gilgamesh. I don't know. It's been a very long time since I've read Gilgamesh. I can't remember what the deal was with that one. It's not Okay, so listen, Gilgamesh is an important book because it's so old. It's like <laughs> 6,000, 5,000 years old. It's not good. 
because we've been improving on the art of narrative storytelling ever since it, because it's like the first one. <laughs> so that's the, uh, like I'm recommending it officially to everyone listening who listens to Matt and Matthews primarily for our reading advice. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but like, read the Epic Gilgamesh. It's amazing because it's so old and there's some like themes in it that still speak to us now and I'm pretty sure Gilgamesh and Enkidu are gay. Um, I can't say so, and that's very interesting. But, it's not well written, because, like, this is our first stab as a species at writing stories. <laughs> so, of course, it gets better. Like, don't, you know, don't be a dick. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> No one's gonna read any of my stuff in 5,000 years, it's fine. <laughs> uh, and Humbaba is, I think, the, the giant witch or monster who lived in the gods' forest that they killed. and results in the badass line in the translation I like uh, where it's begging for mercy and and Enkidu's like slay the beast now Gilgamesh and show no weak or silly mercy to so sly a foe <laughs> and it's good advice and it's cool but that's a totally different book. <laughs> and anyway, if Zeus is its brother or something, and King of Demons the Wind, and also a grasshopper in this movie. Apparently. So, <laughs> that's, that's what I've got to bring to the table is all those facts. And now I'm done. Well, that's good, because the only thing I can bring to the table regarding Pazuzu is every time I heard someone say their name, all I could think about was the one episode of Futurama where uh, Professor Farnsworth, I guess, created some uh, creature and called it Pazuzu. And the creature ran away, so Professor Farnsworth went out to try and find this creature. So he he took their ship, and he was driving the ship at 35 miles an hour through deep space. And he was yelling out the window, Pazuzu! constantly. <laughs> and that's all I can bring to the table regarding Pazuzu and ancient Mesopotamian mythology. I mean, I think the, the problem is it's a funny name. 
So yeah. if you're going to be saying it 500 times that you're just picking a random ancient Mesopotamian god, there's ones with cooler names. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Also, I think it... it so one of the, the other things that I listen to, the competitive podcasts I listen to are all spooky ones. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that Zozo is a demon who's supposed to have a lot to do with like Ouija boards or something. Mm. And that may or may not be the same one, I'm not sure. But it might have something to do with that, but you're not supposed to say its name three times or bad things happen to your mirrors or something. So I'm not going to because I care about you guys. And possibly a lot of you are asleep right now. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't need you waking up to you know, glasses and windows being shattered. I'm also just thinking I won't give anyone nightmares if they believe in Ouija boards. Oh yeah, that too. But uh, but I think they're related. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And now they're on a soundstage in Arabia. <laughs> I guess not Arabia. I guess Ethiopia. And they're climbing, I guess, up like cliffs towards more cliffs. There's some church in the mountains, and it it looks a lot like the one in the beginning of the movie that was in Brazil, but it's not. And the priest from Exorcist One exorcises Pazuzu from the villager with the rope thing because he couldn't do it. In the first soundstage village, but you can do it in soundstage church. And and Exorcist Two is like directly interviewing Pazuzu <laughs> through Reagan because he sees Exorcist One this thing and it's like who is that and you hear his voice like yeah that's this guy and do you want me to show you where he is <laughs> and he's just like yes and like what is happening exactly I don't know but he wants to meet the young villager who is still alive so now we're a locust Chasing villagers and zebras through the sky from a helicopter. And people are like Godzilla running from this locust, but then James Earl Jones comes out of a house and and Roars and then it cuts to a leopard roaring, and then everyone wakes up in the beehive, and Reagan goes to bother children. (laughs) 
and it's... <laughs> They're leaning real heavy on this, like, Inception machine, and I don't know how it works. <laughs> But a bunch of shit is just happening. Yeah, you... I, I have nothing to add to that. That... Yeah, um... Yeah, I don't... I really don't know. Yeah, it... Like, I'm not... Like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm being brief with all this stuff. I'm not leaving out relevant details near as I can tell. Like, this is actually the order of events as it goes. Yeah, that, that is what happened over, except it, it also stretched out over a much longer period of time than the amount of time it took you to describe what happened. It took like four times longer to happen. Yeah, but visually, visually, it's kind of interesting. Because then it's like city made out of mud, sort of like those... There's a place I want to relate to in real life, but I don't know its name, so I'm not going to try. But, like, the, the, the soundstage city is kind of cool. The soundstage cliffs leading up to the soundstage church on top of the soundstage cliffs is kind of cool. Like, visually, it's very interesting, though it makes no sense. I'll give it that. Like, you can watch this movie on mute, and it won't be boring at this <laughs> point. We did just a little while ago finish a ten-minute scene of two people sitting next to each other in an office. So, you know, not all the time, <laughs> but yeah. here it's, it's kind of interesting. And you see James Earl Jones in, like, a towel come out and turn into a leopard. So, like, rad. Yeah. Um, why? I don't know. Fuck off. <laughs> but it's, uh... <laughs> and now Reagan is straight up curing autism. Because yep. that's what happens next in this movie. But it is at this point that I realized I was right when I guessed the plot at the very beginning. Because that lady in Brazil, who was at her... I don't know if it was a quinceanera, just a party, I don't know what was going on. But she was the healer who got obsessed by Pazuzu and set herself on fire. The James Earl Jones guy was apparently a healer who got obsessed by Pazuzu. And now Reagan, who was possessed by Pazuzu and Exorcist 1, 
has cured autism by talking with children. So she's a healer. Mm-hmm. And that means that Max von Sydow is trying to assemble the X-Men <laughs> and Pazuzu was the Shadow King and he was trying to take them all out for Xavier got to. Yeah. Which could have been a better movie. <laughs> um, if it was handled slightly differently. Uh... Yeah. It, am I right? That's the, that's the meta plot, right? Something like that? I, I don't even think that's the meta plot. I think that's just the plot. Okay. Like, if okay. if Max von Sydow hadn't died in the first movie, that's what he would have done, was just assemble, probably assemble these healers and continue to go around and find people who uh, who are, you know, psychic healers or whatever. And because he knew that Pazuzu was going to possess them to try and kill them off, so there would be fewer of them in the world. So they could go around and heal their communities psychically by by yeah. talking by being talk- good locusts yeah and which will come up later in a way that makes about as much sense yeah and talking to a girl psychically and somehow convincing her to to talk out loud and then curing her autism. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's also a very 1977 way of viewing autism. It was just a girl with a stutter. Like, well, I mean, was, uh, no, I mean, I mean, I. It was it was treating autism as a not a sort of different way the brain functions that's in some ways better, but as like a, there's one hurdle, and once you remove it, then they can break out and be normal. Sort yeah. Of thing. Where like there's a like there's a wound that keeps them from talking, but if you're psychic enough and used to have a demon in you, you can just sort of like remove that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but it's you know what? It's fine. I don't. You heard it here first, everybody. Autism is a demon. And you can cure it by finding a healer to remove it out of you. Well, no, no, no. You you need to find a healer who used to have the demon. Because autism... hates demons. 
No, autism is a demon. Okay. And, and you you remove it by finding a healer who will psychically enter your mind and remove the demon from you. It's science. Preferably healer with like some sort of a rope whistle. Yeah. Cause that's the important part. Preferably not. Preferably not one who has to tap dance. Everyone does have to tap dance, right? Cause that's... Cause she was the one that could do yeah, it. Yeah, I know, but I just mean... I, I would rather have someone on the rope whistle than someone who has to tap dance. Cause I, I hate tap dancing. Oh. <laughs> that's, just, that's just personal preference. I'd rather have someone with a bunch of cool candles. Like the, the one in the beginning who didn't last very long. I mean, that's fine, but I I would rather prefer not to have the risk of getting set on fire if the exorcism falls apart. Sorry about the noise. There's a, there's a bug I'm trying to get. Oh. There's a locust in my room. That's very interesting. Oh. I'm spooked. I don't blame you. Nah, it's too small to be like this. <laughs> it's just the thing. Also, so, listen. One thing. In Exorcist 1, she was just, like, possessed by the devil or a devil or something that had powers like knowing priest's name and his dead mother's name and being able to make her throw up and stuff. And this one, he's king of grasshoppers. <laughs> and that's just... That's a thing. There were no grasshoppers in the first one, I think. There were some flies. But, like... I mean... It's just for the record. That's an interesting yeah. departure. Yeah. So, because she cured autism, the priest, Dick Burton, now thinks the demon is preventing her reaching her full spiritual power which is over 9,000 which they need so she can cure all the autism in the world so he decides to go to the Natural History Museum to meet up with her because she recognized the church from the vision from the Natural History Museum because well, we'll get to it kind of <laughs> he starts talking about a French priest who believed in telepathy which is the same one the liner notes talk about in the movie that I've been quoting random nonsensical phrases from <laughs> 
think that would be Teal Heart that I was talking about, maybe? Uh, sure. Let's go with that. What Regan McNeil and the people with whom she interacts discover is something this basic, and yet it strains what was considered scientific acceptability is as terrifying as it is enticing, as frightening as it is seductive. Perhaps in her mind reach back to Father Man Ford to Father Lamont, Reagan bridges that rapidly closing abyss between the astonishing foresight of Teilhard de Chardin and the slowly awakening giant of modern science. So that's what's happening here. Okay. Gotcha. What the, so you, you know about priests who believe in telepathy, and she shows him a picture behind a lion that says Rock Churches of Ethiopia on the plaque. So he's like, holy penis, I've got to go to Ethiopia. <laughs> and he takes off <laughs> and is back in the Vatican River and starts talking about a prophecy that the cool Xavier priest hmm was saying that cool dudes would show up to help against evil. And he's like, James Earl Jones is probably the one. I've got to go recruit him for the Avengers Initiative. <laughs> and he gets fired instead because he's loose cannon. <laughs> uh, and the bishop has the mayor breathing down his neck. And, and so then the new priest is off the job. He turns in his badge and guns, but climbs all the way to Africa anyway. <laughs> because he's gotta see this through. So, he's, <laughs> he's not a priest anymore. He's not wearing the, the, the really weird outfit yet. He's just wearing the, those khakis that white people wear in the desert. Yeah. He's climbing those same cliffs that we saw for the first time like five minutes ago. And, and he makes it to the church at the top. They're in the same room. They're having some kind of party where they all drink out of a goblet. Meanwhile, Nurse Ratchet goes to, to Reagan's trillion dollar penthouse <laughs> and Reagan explains that in Dreamception they can talk to people in Africa and then it cuts back like that's not gonna come up. <laughs> 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 so wrong <laughs> but it's uh, the priest 
uses the memory of the dream to help the cliff priest discover where the, the guy who fells corpses, which is like 40 feet away from where they were looking, and he's been there for 30 years, and they just never looked that way. (laughs) They don't even, like, uncover him. He's just between two rocks, (laughs) and he's a skeleton. He just walks up there and points, like... Is that the mummy of the guy you're looking for? <laughs> and they're like, holy shit, how chill. He's like, oh, check it out. The devil told me. <laughs> and then... Uh... He... They suddenly don't want to talk to me anymore. It's like, no, listen, you guys, you have to trust me. I flew with the devil. <laughs> um, he insists they listen to him anyway, and then chase him off with the rocks. <laughs> Which is totally unfair because I think he's devil worship. He's like, no, check it out. I worship the devil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but a quick cut back. Reagan's tap dance again goes back so that we can see that when they start throwing rocks at the priest. She suddenly starts crumping and falls off the stage. Well, it wasn't just a quick cutback. The first scene where she's tap dancing lasts for like a solid minute. Like, it's not even a quick cutback. It's like they're seriously just focusing on the tap dancing scene for a full goddamn minute. Not like... Five yeah, seconds I think and then cuts back. Again, I think it's because the director's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it, it definitely is. And more on that in a minute. <laughs> so the, the, the priest is refusing to leave until I throw rocks at him and make him leave because he ordered <laughs> The devil, and they have an E.T. moment where she can feel his pain and falls over and stuff. Like, like an E.T. with the beer and the kid in the class. That's a better movie. You guys should see it. It touches on all the same themes. <laughs> really? But... There's your, there's your, uh, yeah, there's your, um, what's the, I can't think of the right word for it, the, uh, the tagline, the tagline for E.T. It's like The Exorcist 2, but slightly better. It's like The Exorcist 2 with Muppets, check us out. With more Muppets. Actually, just with the one, come to think of it. Yeah, I guess there was just... Well, 
the state with the exact same yeah, exactly. With an equal amount of Muppets to The Exorcist 2. Equal to or less than <laughs> Exorcist 2 Muppets. If you count the like packing peanuts painted brown that they threw in priest as <laughs> for all the locusts. We cut back to the priest. Now he's in a new place barking English and some people don't speak it. Because <laughs> that's just Americans abroad. Yep. I feel like I can say that because I've been one, and yes, we do do that, and yes, most people in the world speak English, but still, it's a... Uh, French nuns? Yeah, I mean, he does speak French to them, though. Right? He does, he, like, he does... I think he knows, like, two or three words in French, but he, he's mostly just repeating, like, the name of the guy or something. Mm -hmm. But this is where Ned Beatty randomly shows up in a plane with a giant cross, because he's a man who sells giant crosses and such much... What he has a he has a monologue to wrote down, or I didn't write down. Did you? Where he served? Uh, the only the only line I wrote down was I know every holy place in Africa. Was his big line, his claim to fame? Because I guess this yeah, he's like. Ec ecumenical Edwards or something is his name? It's something Edwards. E Evangelical Edwards? Something. I, I don't remember his, his name. I know it was Edwards something. Yeah, but he, he sells like... He sells religious artifacts or props for every religion. So he's just dropping off a giant foam rubber cross that's supposed to be wood, but he also has, you know, Muslim paramats and, and mandala equipment and whatever, whatever. That's his job. He flies around Africa selling people church stuff. Yeah. And so they, he offers to, to take, uh, to be with them to this, this city, I guess, that they were going to. Yeah, and he's like, oh, a city with mud brick houses? I know that one. There's exactly one. <laughs> In all of Africa. There is exactly one. And then this fucking priest who just can't wait to tell everybody <laughs> that he worships the devil is like, I've come this way before with the devil. <laughs> no, he... And the pilot's like, bro, I do not care. 
I think he actually says he flew this way on the wings of a demon. And then Biddy is just like, yeah, okay, sure, buddy, whatever. Just laughs yeah, it off. Because we get a couple of the same aerial shots we got from when the, the locust was chasing zebras and mm-hmm. stuff. And there's planes going around spraying four locusts. And the priests all like, <laughs> you know how I know how this place? <laughs> the <laughs> devil. <laughs> but it's... Uh, <laughs> Somehow still doesn't get why that's unworthy information, people. <laughs> but Ned Beatty's too cool to care. Uh, we go back to Soundstage City. People don't seem to know what he's talking about. He's sort of just replace or repeating the name Kokomo to everyone who will listen. <laughs> And apparently the beehive is also a dormitory because Ray is sleeping there. And we know this because there's a five second going to sleep scene. <laughs> and then we cut back towards one of the town simply saying Kokomo to everyone. Suddenly boobs. <laughs> Well, it seems like they're sort of herding him to somewhere. Like, it seems like they're trying to... It's like they seem like they're kind of trying to help him find Kokumo. And then they're just sort of pushing him in this one direction. And then, yeah, then this, this lady comes out and it's like, Oh, cool, titties, whatever. Uh, and then they all laugh at him and walk away. Well, I think they all took him to, like, like a brothel or yeah. something. Because there's generally one reason why just white tourists traveling on their own <laughs> <laughs> come to their town. It's like, oh, you want coke? Okay, I'll show you Kokomo, which I think is a girl's name anyway. Um, but... So we've got... And this actually wasn't what I meant when I said we'll see in a minute how the director's pervert, but it <laughs> helps. <laughs> so, she's just... And they got her really pretty late. She's just like creased up and stuff. She's like, yeah, just stand there in front of the camera for a while. And like, I'm not gonna pretend I mind, <laughs> but it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> There's. Yeah. Meanwhile, cut back from five seconds, Reagan takes her IV out. Cut back! <laughs> <laughs> Priest is still wandering around soundstage at dawn, and Reagan slash Pazuzu suddenly just starts talking to him through Vulcan mind meld. 
Okay, this is something that I didn't even realize until after the scene was happening. Because um, there's, there's a point where the priest is sort of like rocking back and forth a little bit. And like the sun is sort of like coming into and out of view. And then it sort of cuts. Yeah, well, he's like strobe lighting. Yeah, exactly. Because I didn't even realize that until they cut back to Reagan. And there's like a little bit of. There's like a flashing light, maybe from like a police car or something. I don't know what. I don't remember what. But then there's like. She has a flashing light too. And they sort of accidentally hypnotize them each other or themselves and then they can link to themselves each other psychically because apparently the apparently the the whole deal with uh, with the the synchronizing hypnotism machine thing is that once you're linked you're linked for a while. They don't say how long, but apparently it's it's some time. And through that, Pazuzu manages to speak to the priest through Reagan. I think that's what happens. Yeah, well, he even calls out to him, right? He's like... Hey, the devil, I can't find this guy. Will you show me where he is? The devil? Yeah, which is sort of the, the Harris thing. Like, he's directly praying this <laughs> thing now because he wants to find Kokomo so bad. And I don't know why Pazuzu is helping him, but he is. She is. It is. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why either. Hmm. Anyway, my notes at this point just say, I don't know, man. She's pretty devil worshiping me. Apparently, they can talk to each other across the world. He wanders into the building where Kokomo sits all day in a chair in a locust hat. <laughs> Which... Rad. Mm-hmm. It's James Earl Jones, so somehow it still seems cool. <laughs> yeah. And he's like... I don't know, man. You seem kind of devil-worshipping <laughs> Which... He is. Uh, suddenly the priest is barefoot and there's a nail bed to walk across. Yeah. And James Earl Jones spits like a rubber ball or like a tomato or a clown nose or something. I don't know. He, he said something like, you know, walk across the, you know, like cross over... He wants he wants the priest to cross over to to him 
to prove himself worthy, I guess. And he said, don't worry if Pazuzu attacks you, I will just spit a leopard at her. Or at it. Yeah. But then it's rubber ball instead. Or it's a red round something. I, I don't know. Maybe a tomato. Maybe a fruit. Maybe a clown nose. Probably not a clown nose, but you never know. Yeah, um... So then, like, t- to prove his faith, he's gonna walk across nails or something? Yeah. But then he... He tries to, and his feet are immediately pierced by the nails. Yeah, he's got this latex foot that just, it looks kind of silly, but also kind of painful, because it's almost close enough to real foot. Mm -hmm. And then... But then... Then we're at a research laboratory all of a sudden. He he falls onto the nails. Mm -hmm. But suddenly he's on the floor in like a lobby. (laughs) Yeah. And there's James Earl Jones. And he's he's uh, he's in fact a scientist. Yeah, and he's not wearing his, his locust luchador outfit anymore, and we don't know if that was real or not. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I guess we're supposed to assume it's not, but then, like, is any of this real? I don't know. Yeah, because we're still on a weird soundstage, but they're indoors now, so at least it seems like a less dream area. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Slightly. These lead scientists of, like, lo- locustology. Yeah, I... This is another one of those scenes that goes on for entirely too long because he's... James Little Jones is explaining the concept behind what happens, like, when a locust's wings touch each other or something that the locust become... What what turns a solitary, friendly grasshopper into a locust? Right. Which is... I I did not verify this. I'm positive it's not true. (laughs) But... But can you explain the theory? Because... I'm... I'm not entirely sure I can, but I'll do my best. Because this is also interspersed with 
scenes showing this scene that like showing this happening as he's describing it because I guess what happens is when the wings of a grasshopper brush up against other wings of grasshoppers they turn incredibly violent and they become locusts and then they like their only desire is you know chaos and violence and destruction and that sort of thing so I I'm I probably am missing parts of it, but he also tells Yeah, no, that's Is that it? That's pretty much it. Oh, okay. The difference between locusts and grasshoppers is that when it rains they clump together being brushed by their wings changes their behavior and drives them crazy. Yeah. Uh, and it just has a bunch of close-up shots of locusts just kind of being bugs and, and hoping to gross out the audience, I think. Mm-hmm. Which, apparently, um, this is according to Wikipedia, the world's greatest source of information, uh, they actually had to import locusts from England and the locusts like they imported like 2500 locusts in order to shoot like these scenes and then scenes later in the movie but the locusts were dying at a rate of like a hundred a day so they had to keep shipping more of them in because they kept dying off so, huh? Yeah, cause they're bad taking care of her. Locusts just died that fast. Probably both. I don't actually know how the life cycle of locusts, but, but yeah, apparently they were dying at an incredibly fast rate, so they had to keep shipping in more locusts for later scenes and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, so so apparently uh, James Earl Jones has managed to breed a, like, a, a, a grasshopper queen or something, I don't know if the same thing as queen bee, but one who her her offspring don't have this problem so when their wings touch the wings of other locusts they don't become violent and then 
the offspring that they have will inherit that gene and eventually the violent locusts will die out. Yeah, that's like, like that's a real thing we do, I think. Isn't yeah. It? With uh, moth head bugs, I, I think we tried to do with mosquitoes and stuff, where, mm-hmm. well, if you make a newer breed that doesn't have this problem and will hopefully be more popular than it'll outbreed the old ones and you've changed the species kind of. Yeah, and then of course they never think about the implications that that might have on like the environment and how much it might change the entire ecosystem if they mess with like no, one species. No, the world for crops. Yeah. That's what we do. Yeah. But so it's hopefully they'll have much children calm the horde and just metaphorically it's it's Regan mm-hmm. slash him slash the lady at the beginning who died, I guess. Yeah. The good locusts. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Reagan wakes up and wanders off. Also, <laughs> there's an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 is ex- that is exactly as much time as the movie gives it. She wakes up, wanders (laughs) off, and then it shows a plane, and then it's like, oh, new new scene. And this is, again, this director's a pervert. Priest goes to Reagan's (laughs) house. Sharon's there in a wet gossamer robe. (laughs) And, like... A fan blowing directly on her nose. It's very uncomfortable. The director, the first one, did not make his actress do this. Um, uh, it's weird, and she doesn't want the priest there because he's a weirdo. Oh, and it also, like, it had a weird thing where it was showing the the therapist, like, giving her kids a bath. And then it cuts immediately to Reagan's house where, where Sharon's in, like, a wet robe. And I was wondering, like, are they hanging out together? But they're not. It was just a weird cut for no reason. I'm, I'm not sure. Or, or f- for a reason of exposing the duality of mankind and the relationship between the past and future in the psychic subspace or something. But, uh, near as I can tell for no reason. <laughs> there is also something, and this is, uh, going entirely off everything else. Did you know that like 
almost every time you hear like when the telephone rang in this in this movie when they were answering when whoever it was I guess it was Sharon who answered the phone that's a recording it's not like and it's like a singular recording that movies have used for decades of uh, of that like old rotary telephone ringing like the universal sound clip. Yeah, but it's it's weird because the um if you listen to it and this is something I learned from a YouTube video from a channel called Technology Connections, which is a really neat show that talks about it's a really neat channel that talks about like old and strange technology. And it's very kind of dry wit and it's pretty entertaining. But that was actually, you can tell it was a recording from like a long time ago because there's a slight pitch shift in the, in the ringing. Like it dips slightly in the middle because it's a recording and the way it was recorded it's like because it was recorded on like a record back in the 40s or something that when the record like revolves and the needle might have jostled a bit the pitch like got weirded out a little bit during the recording so every time you hear that if you hear the pitch dip slightly you know it's that one specific sound effect i know that's not an entire that's like a watermark yeah exactly it's really it's kind of strange that so many and like Every film that is ever used, or nearly every film that's used that sound effect, has used that specific sound effect because you can always hear that little sort of like dip in the in the pitch of um, of the of the of the ring. It's weird and neat. Now, can you get that exact sound effect for your phone's ringtone? I mean, you probably can find it. It's it's a. That's kind of fun. It's a it's a stock. It's like a stock sound um, sound effect. You know, it's been used for like. 80 years in film, so you probably can find it. That's fun. I'll have to I'll have to listen to it more carefully and see if I can pick it up other things. Cause right now I'm still I'm always picking out the Wilhelm screen. Oh yeah, that too definitely. And the uh, 
there, there's another scream that I don't know if it has a name for, but it's that woman who screams twice, like one short, one long. I don't know that. It's in everything from like Dracula to the Diablo video game. Hmm. But so far it's just two <laughs> screams and there's um yeah. Expanded out to things like ring <laughs> shit. No that I mean I only know that one because I watched that that uh, that one YouTube video about it. It's it's actually a pretty interesting video. But anyway. No, it's cool, but but do you have can you actually hear it or is it just a trust us it's there dip? You can hear it. I mean it's it's not that hard to not hear. Like it's it it dips like it goes it kinda dips enough to it's it's pretty audible. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm gonna look for that. Yeah. The other scream that I was thinking of that I don't think it appears as often, but it's the other sort of iconic scream, I think, to me, is the, I think it's called the Howie scream. It was the scream from Howie Long in, I think it was the movie Cliffhanger. It's that sort of kind of, I don't know. It's probably, it's in a bunch of things. I can't, I can't imitate it very well, but that's the other one that I, that I know of very well as far as like a iconic screams go. Do they use it in StarCraft? Maybe. I don't know. I played StarCraft for like an hour. Once. There's definitely one I've heard a bunch of places, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. I'm uh As an interest of mine, but not one I've dedicated a memory space to. I'll have <laughs> to start because that, that's just that fun. makes one of us. because <laughs> well, I also like I I know a couple of the you know I recognize the same places that they film a bunch of things like how the the castle in uh, Tomb Raider where she lives is the same as the one in Batman. <laughs> and you can tell from like the floor tiles, you know, because there's like one or two really good old style mansions that are open for filming that don't actually live in sort of thing. And that same, what, there's that office building that's in, like, oh, hell, it's a big open office building with, like, a spiral staircase in the middle that's kind of wrought iron and features prominently in, like, 500 Days of Summer, but also 17 other movies. 
Uh, I hear that with sets a lot. I don't do the sounds so much, mm. but it's fun. The more movies you watch, the more you can become an insufferable uh, <laughs> kind of detail hound, but it's it's a lot of fun, if, especially if the movie itself isn't that good. <laughs> like, for example, The Exorcist. <laughs> Yeah. The heretic. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. That's a... Written that down. I will try to remember to watch... I'll have to watch this movie again to find it, though, won't I? No, you don't have to. I can skip ahead. You, you, can, watch, you can watch literally any movie that was... That either took place in or actually was filmed in anywhere from the 40s through the 80s and you'll hear that ringed you'll probably hear that ring somewhere in it if there is a telephone in one of those movies that ring will be in there also I've seen this movie enough times that I can recognize when a scene is before and after it'll probably take like three minutes to get to okay 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 it'll be fun yeah. Anyway, they go back to the museum. This is where the movie goes completely crazy. I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> so they go back to the museum, and Reagan's like, Hey, did you figure out how to eat Pazuzu? And the priest's like, Uh, no, this movie's now about grasshoppers. <laughs> She's like, well, do you want an Inception at least? He's like, yes. Because she stole the Inception machine. So, they go to this shitty hotel together to watch The Exorcist together. Mm -hmm. And now they're back in Exorcist 1 and in Africa and in Brazil or whatever to directly explain that thing we've already figured out about how Pazuzu likes healers and whatnot. And, and Max von Sydow was going all over Xavier style to find all these priests because Pazuzu's hunting or to find all these Especially healing people, because Pazuzu is hunting them down. It just sort of confirms all that. And then suddenly, uh, Dick Burton just stands up and goes wandering through the streets, <laughs> and Reagan has to follow him. And I guess he's possessed? But maybe he's not? I think the idea was that he is that we wanted to think that he was possessed, but I'm not entirely sure he was. Like, I mean, considering what happens, you know, during the climax of the movie, I don't think he was. And if he is possessed, he's possessed by Pazuzu or the dead priest or who or what? Because he's like... Yeah. 
just on a mission to go back to Washington, D.C. for some reason. Yeah. I think this is another thing where it wasn't actually in the script, just Burton was acting weird, so I should work his fault with the camera. <laughs> 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 no, it's... it's... Because there's no... There's nothing showing him getting possessed or having locusts go into his mouth or whatever. I don't know how you'd represent that visually, but it's just he keeps seeing the same thing before. I've seen it a bunch of times, or it's just this kind of memory reel. And then gets all weird. Yeah. I think it. I think it's supposed to be implied that he might have been possessed, considering some of the, like, some of the things he says a little bit later, and some of the things he does. He almost causes a plane accident by, like, being suddenly telekinetic, so, like, it's... (laughs) Something's going on, but they forgot to tell us what. <laughs> they go on the subway, go to Penn Station, go to DC. Reagan calls Nurse Ratchet, and she's like, We gotta go follow him, and Chan's gonna go with. And then it's this, like, race scene between driving a car and getting on a plane then taking a taxi versus getting on a train and then getting on a bus and who's gonna make it fastest (laughs) and like Things keep slowing down Nurse Ratchet and Shannon because there's like random car accident zombies on the way that she has to stop and help because he's stumbling around and like getting on the windows like, help! And she's like, I'm a doctor. Therapists are basically <laughs> doctors and she has to like an ambulance is on the way but she parks and gets out and goes back and like I'm a doctor is your head cut your head's obviously cut let me help which fine that's something that would do they play it for a lot more trauma than I think it's worth (laughs) oh sorry I hate to interrupt but um my favorite scene in the movie is right here. Is is during this part, cause, cause when 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 the priest and Reagan get on the train, they don't get tickets, cause they're you know she's sixteen and he's a priest, so they don't have any money. He's he's a he's a priest who no longer has a job so they have no money so they hop on a train and as they're hopping on the train 
some attendant over who's like a hundred feet away, he just sort of impotently yells, Hey! Stop that! <laughs> and that just made me laugh a lot. So, that was my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> just this random like stupid she's... scene. And then there's random, like, train attendant who thinks she's robbing him because he's just staring straight forward and she's going through his pockets, but she's going through his pockets to pay for their tickets. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, she belongs to me, or something really dramatically to demonstrate he's kind of possessed. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of the idea. It's like, maybe he's possessed because of the way in which he says it and also the words that he uses. Because, you know, if he says, oh, she's with me, it's like, whatever. But the fact that he says, she belongs to me implies to me that he's possessed. But... Which is also, like, there have been a couple of times when someone should have called the cops. This is also one, though. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, he thought there was a problem when this 16-year-old girl was going through this creepy old man's pocket. But then the creepy old man's like, no, she's mine. She belongs to me. He's like, okay, well, this is fine. Mm-hmm. This is a normal situation that I don't need to get involved <laughs> in. Just, uh, yeah. Then they're then we're on a priest is rambling about being filled with power and then on the plane with Nurse Rash and Sharon it suddenly starts going down while the priest like stares out the window of the train at it and glares. <laughs> and then Reagan distracts the priest and says it's okay, so I guess priest was bringing down the plane? Or possibly it was Pazuzu? Well, or Pazuzu's in the priest? Maybe? Or the priest is in Pazuzu. That could be, I don't know, I mean... Well, there's apparently a bunch of deleted scenes around here where there's supposed to be a whole thing about how, like, Max von Sydow's soul's been trapped and that's what all the memories are about, and then this priest busted him out but replaced him, that's how Pazuzu got into him or something. Sure, okay. But they cut it 
so it's not in the movie anymore. So it makes even less sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got production stills of it, but I don't. Anyway, now we're back in the ancient struggle of bus versus taxi. Barking, the bus driver can hurry up because the bus driver is trying to finish his sandwich. <laughs> and he's doing a kind of deep voice. And they keep acting like this guy is really intimidating. But they don't do whatever special effects they need to do to the voice to make him intimidating. So it's just this weird old man, like, <laughs> snarling at people where... I feel like anyone who works in any sort of position has seen that several hundred times before and wouldn't care. <laughs> yeah. Cause he's not like he's not an imposing guy. He's a he's a he's a wee little guy with a big head. <laughs> but uh, uh I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Nurse Rashi gets held up by a procession and goes to complain about <laughs> it. And just, this is just everyone's such a Karen in this scene. So whining at the train conductor and the bus driver and the taxi driver. She has the audacity to tell the tax driver to hurry up because she keeps getting out to help people. Yeah. Not her taxi driver. Yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> then the priest and Reagan get there first. Then the room is full of locusts and Nurse Ratchet and Sharon get in a car accident for some reason. Yeah. The taxi driver gets killed. kind of badass because like the window shatters so you can't see out the windshield so it just punches a hole <laughs> in the side now if he still gets an accident because he did that movie thing where as soon as he couldn't see he started jerking the wheel back and <laughs> forth until he crashed into something <laughs> It's like, if anyone who's listening isn't 16 yet or just doesn't have a driver's license yet and you're about to take your test, one thing to not do if anything spills on your windshield and you can't see is something start jerking the wheel left and right. Don't do that. Just apply the brakes yeah. and stop. It's... <laughs> and uh, if your brakes are any good, anti-lock brakes will stop you at about 50 feet anyway. You don't have to 
there's no reason to swerve to the sound. It's no good. Oh, God, what even? Sharon gets out of the car and Miss Ratchet's stuck in the back. Now apparently Sharon's possessed too because she sets herself on fire. I... yeah... Did, did this track for you? Because this is where I'm just lost in describing things that happen because I don't know why. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The entire last five to ten minutes of this movie, I had entirely no idea what was happening because there was like... The only dialogue that was happening was the doctor screaming at Sharon and then a bunch of like scenes where they were cutting back and forth between them and then Priest and Reagan who I think were fighting the apparition of Pazuzu, who was possessing a body double of Reagan. Yeah, there's just two Reagans now upstairs in the apartment from Exorcist 1, and like one's slutty, and the priest starts like with her? Yeah. And then, like, one's just sort of, no, why is this happening? The other one's like, nah, can yeah, nah, kill, kill your friend. He's like, okay. And starts killing her in a very 70s way, just like grabbing her shoulders and kind of pushing her into the wall a bunch of times. Meanwhile, Sharon sets herself on fire outside. Mm -hmm. And I... The priest suddenly... Sorry, you... No, I... I, Yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) At this point, I honestly have no idea what was happening. Priest is perfectly willing to kill Reagan for the sake of making out with other Reagan until she says poor K because she's psychic and that's what the lady in the beginning said, which is Spanish for why. And apparently that's all he needed to hear was Spanish wine. Because <laughs> he remembers like, oh right, I don't like it when the people I'm supposed to be protecting die. And it took remembering that to snap me out of my weird, horny kill spasms (laughs) like 
so he kills Pazestria instead by tearing her heart out. Cause this guy can just do that, apparently, this whole time. I mean, they, they had said something before. He had said something, like, a while ago about, like, removing the heart of the locust or something. I didn't realize they were well, literally well, Jim, James Earl Jones, in the vision that probably wasn't actually real when he was dressed as a locust luchador said that, right? Yeah. And I didn't realize they were actually literally meant that he had to tear the heart out of the, like, the head locust. Like, I thought it was just, like, metaphorical or something. I don't think you can normally punch through a sternum and pull out someone's heart without, like, destroying the heart first. I mean, I don't... I mean, if... Like, he didn't... Did he have a knife or something? Or he just punches through her, like... What I mean, look, if, if we're being honest, like, entirely honest here... I'm fairly certain none of this actually happened, and it was just the the demented visions of a of a of a priest who is in desperate need of psycho of some sort of psychoanalysis. Well, yes, and as as you remember from the press notes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm trying to find it still. <laughs> it's okay, I'm looking forward to this one. I'm looking forward to being talked down to by a director who's obviously on all the drugs. No, but as, as we learned during the spoon build uh-huh. bending part, the scene clearly explains the audience premise of the film. Uh, this is why no one hears or sees the locust swarm or the house explode at the end of the film. It was only made known to people in the mind link. Everyone else only saw the end result. The concept runs through the entire film. Keeping both in mind, he's towards the scene. So it's... their mind battling. Okay. Like in Doctor Strange. Sure. But so I guess there weren't actually two Reagans that was just in his head. But like so we kind of rushed past that part but it happens real fast. They go into the room, and there's two Reagans. There's Evil Reagan, Good Reagan. They're just hanging out there. I guess Pazuzu looks like Reagan now, and he's outside of her, but looks like her. 
Yeah. And then it turns into a punch fight, because that's what the exorcism is in this movie, <laughs> is they punch each other. And then it gets all poltergeist, and the room starts flying apart. Because rickets are blowing in like holes in the wall and the window and everything. And it splits open. You've seen Poltergeist, yeah? Uh, Once a very long time ago. It is a very Poltergeist guys sort of thing when they're destroying the house. Didn't, didn't Poltergeist come out after this? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'm not saying they ripped Poltergeist off, I'm just saying it has the, the same feel of the scene. If you've seen one that you, you kind of you know, just everything's shaking and the house is splitting apart, yeah. but it's also a little Evil Dead kind of. Okay, yeah. Where it just, uh. I don't know why I compulsively compare movies to other movies that I've seen, but that's kind of <laughs> just how I. I analyze things or cover for not actually analyzing <laughs> Altergeist came out in 1982, by the way. So it, so okay. the whole idea of the house being torn apart and that sort of stuff was ripped off from The Exorcist too, because I'm fairly certain Evil Dead came out in the 80s as well. When did Evil Dead 2 come out? That's the one toward the house of Oh, that came out much later. I think. Uh, let's see. The first Evil Dead movie came out in, oh, 1981. Uh, Evil Dead 2 came out in 1987. Okay, so two years after. Mm-hmm. So, but it just, it's a very specific way of breaking a house up. Like, I wouldn't say it's breaking up like the house in Jumanji. Right. Because that one broke in a very different way. It's just, uh, you know, it's uh, flashing lights and on a soundstage, so the sky is just covered with, like, stage mist and you can't see it. So you flash lights and you shake everything apart, kind of thing. Yeah, I gotcha. Anyway, you tear out Evil Reagan's heart. Good Riggins starts spinning around with 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 a snap. Good starts spinning around with a whistle rope that doesn't exist. 
So she's just spinning her arm above her head, but it's making the same noise as in the flashback to when young Kokomo had the had the the spinny whistle rope. Mm-hmm. And that makes all the locusts die. Cause they fall out of the sky onto the ground. Priest wanders off to give Cher her last rites because she's all. She looks like a hot dog. <laughs> I mean, she did light herself on fire, and that was something that actually happened. Unlike the, the battle for the priest's sanity, which I guess happened in his mind. Yeah, and. Do we know why did everyone get, like, who was possessed in this movie? I don't know. I'm pretty sure Reagan wasn't possessed. No, I mean, she was, she was at some point, because Pazuzu definitely talked well, to her. there were two of her, and one of them definitely was. Um... <laughs> Ned Beatty seems like he was possessed towards the end. Ned Beatty probably sure. wasn't possessed. Was Ned Beatty even real? You know what? I he, or was he part of a crazy demon wing? He may not have also. He may have been. He may have also been a, a vision. I I honestly do not know at this point. The Cardinal might not have been possessed. Uh, the girl with autism probably... No, she was possessed because because Reagan took the demon of, of autism out of her. The, the autistic girl's mother probably wasn't possessed. That, that one. I mean, in, in this scene, though, this. Oh, scene, oh, like, okay. I was just trying to think of every other character. The taxi driver, when he gets to the accident, he's possessed, right? Like that's why he suddenly starts driving all crazy and crashes into a wall. Sharon's clearly possessed because she laughs at people and sets herself on fire. Yeah. Like all the possessed ones do. Priest is clearly possessed because A, he's walked here in the first place and B, he's necking with clone succubus Reagan <laughs> and trying to kill real Reagan. I can't tell if the doctor's possessed. I guess she's probably not. Not in this scene, but she probably was like the first time when they did their hypnosynchronize. I know, she had her heart attack, she was definitely obsessed. I don't know what the rules are. 
I don't think there are any rules. I don't think there are rules in this movie. Anyway, so apparently Priest and Sharon are both no longer possessed because he's giving her last rites and she's, you know, dying because she was on fire for so long. And, and then Nurse Ratchet apologizes uh, to the priest for being a filthy child doctor and scientist and stuff, an awesome, crazy, possessed priest. <laughs> and he's like, that's okay. I forgive you. And then he wanders off with Reagan to take care of her in the movie ends. Yep. Like, just as all the police and paramedics show up and Nurse Ratchet's still there and, and he kidnaps the child and leaves. Yep. He has to he has and to he has to continue the legacy of Max von Sydow and collect the other healers and protect her from Pazuzas. Yeah. And create the X Men. God, what and that's <laughs> the Exorcist too. <laughs> Yeah, like actually, <laughs> like we're not making no. this up. <laughs> Sam, what, what do you, Sam, uh, Sam, yeah? what did you think of this movie? <laughs> um... I like this. I like the song that played over the end credits. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. That's Neil Morricone's Reagan's theme. I have it on my phone nice. now. Along with Pazuzu's theme, which <laughs> is 180 degrees different, <laughs> yeah. and starts out with people screaming. Yeah. And I'm gonna play it when I drive. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like that scene where the train conductor yelled at the at Reagan and the priest to to stop getting on the train without tickets, and that's it. Agreed. I love box fire. <laughs> Um, I love James Earl Jones's locust outfit. Yeah. I I like I I like every scene where they clearly have just a bunch of packing fans they've spray painted brown and thrown in front of an industrial fan to to have a bunch of locusts blasting in a window. I like all of those. Every single scene where that happens, I'm very into. I kind of like the Ethiopian cliff climbing stuff. 
like the guy in the fez who doesn't know what the hell mm-hmm. the person's talking about. Mm-hmm. I love the line about scientists improving this girl's assassination. Oh my god. There's probably other lines I like a lot. And, and you know, I like I like all of the 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 weird whenever they're having a vision going over clearly sound stage places with the giant animatronic I like all of that. There actually were a few other lines that that I wrote down that I liked in this movie, like right near the beginning, when when the priest is being told that he's going to research Max on Cedar's death, and he says, "But I'm not worthy." Like I like that. There are other stupid lines as well. Yeah, like, I like those, but the, the movie's terrible. <laughs> yeah, this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I um. Even so, I kind of, I think I recommend it, though. I think this is something people should see, because what the hell, you know? It's, it's... I might be alone on that. I, I, I don't feel like that was two hours wasted when I watched it, though. I was like, actually, oh, now I know, this is crazy. It's one of those things that if you're one of those people who wants to specifically go out and if you want to seek out bad movies for the purpose of watching them, if you want to like go around and say, I want to see the, like all the movies that got less than 15% rating on Rotten Tomatoes or something, and you want to watch this movie, then definitely go watch it. I'm... I don't know if I could recommend it to, like, the average moviegoer who might want to just sort of sit back and enjoy themselves for 90 to 120 minutes cuz i don't think that, i don't think they will but if you're if you're one of those people who likes to seek out bad movies and you haven't seen this one already Definitely do, because it will definitely tickle your fancy. It's it's a very bad movie. <laughs> like, I I honestly think it's the worst movie I've ever seen. I I, I don't watch a lot of movies. I'll admit that. I keep oh no. 
we think it's a bad movie because we're dumb. <laughs> Remember? Oh! The spoon-bidding scene right. clearly explains the audience approach to the film and states that what we're about to see is projection of the right. mind. Because what we're seeing takes place in the mind. Psychically only takes place in a fraction of a second. For those not in the mind link. You big idiot. Yeah. So Sorry, I forgot about it that. It was clearly explained to us and we just didn't I'm get sorry, it. I completely forgot about that. My apologies to yeah. the press release and to whoever wrote that that uh that crap. Wrote <laughs> that existential nonsense. Yeah. So actually a brilliant movie. Just me and Sam didn't get it because we're humble manatees. Yeah. Uh who aren't smart enough for this movie. <laughs> So, if you are, in fact, a brilliant genius, then you will absolutely want, you will adore this movie. If you, too, want to, quote, cross the threshold of self-consciousness to a new mode of thought, and as a result, achieve some degree of conscious integration, iteration of the self with the outer world of men and nature, integration of the separate elements of self with each other, to be a person, an organism which transcendent individuality and personality, this attainment of personality was an essential element in man's past and present evolutionary success. Colon, according its fuller achievement, must be an essential aim for his evolutionary future. So you gotta watch this movie, or you're basically a caveman. Took a nap while you were saying that. <laughs> Such a long statement. Bad press notes. Bad press God. notes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this podcast is supposed to help people sleep. That's true. Good point. I think I can borrow from their efforts. It has definitely achieved its purpose. Jesus. Anyway, the first exorcist is about a girl's possessing its an exorcism. So that's a. Uh, <laughs> that's one that I would recommend. I was. I mean. I wasn't, I don't know what I was expect. I 
didn't really have any expectations going to this movie except knowing that many people consider it one of the worst films of all time. I was still expecting it to maybe be a little scary because it's, you know, just, again, based off the name alone because The Exorcist, the first Exorcist was a fairly creepy movie. Even, well, I mean, I haven't... Yeah. yeah. Like, for the record, the first section is good. Oh, yeah, no, it's a, it is an excellent movie. I just, I guess I was expecting at least a little, a little, a couple scary moments out of it. There was nothing in this movie. Like, they just, it felt very flat. Also, I didn't I didn't mention this and I don't know if you I don't know what you thought about this, but I honestly thought that Louise Fletcher's performance was like extremely flat and wooden the entire film. Like, it just, it felt like her, every time she said something, she was just sort of like, Oh no, let me help you. Don't worry, everything will be okay. Please don't hurt me. I'm a doctor, or whatever. You know, it just, it felt like she wasn't, she didn't emote. It felt like she didn't emote at all during the entire film. I don't know if it was just me that noticed that or if, or if I would just was reading too much into it. It just, it just seemed like she had no interest in being there. And it just, it surprised me that, like, I did look it up. She did actually win an Academy Award for One Flew Over a Cuckoo's Nest. And then it's like... Oh, she's a good actor. I, I just, I... In general. I just, I don't think that this was... If this was not a, a good performance for her. I mean, I don't know, like, I don't remember seeing her in anything else, like, I, I don't think I've ever seen One Flew Over Cuckoo's Nest, but I know that's supposed to be a really great movie, but her performance in this one was pretty bad, honestly, to me anyway, I don't know. Well... She's also, like, acting opposite. So, apparently Richard Burton would drink a lot on set. Just uh, as the day went on, it got worse and worse. Yeah. Uh, Amy Schumer. Sorry, not Amy Schumer. <laughs> uh, Linda Blair was... Went into rehab pretty immediately after this. It was yeah. probably always at least half an hour late. 
and she's just like the only sober person on set trying to read this stuff. Okay, like, yeah. She's just sort of like getting through the day. Yeah, because apparently she was first cast because she looks a lot like the mother from Exorcist 1. Oh, okay. And then that character was written out, and the character she wound up playing, the doctor, was rewritten. It was a male character rewritten so that she could still have a job on the, the film because they liked it so much. But. Like, Linda Blair apparently turned down a lot of sequels and then finally accepted one because she liked the script. By the time they started filming, they swapped out the entire script. Hmm. Still. So, like, all the actors here are not doing the jobs they thought they were taking on. Gotcha. I don't know if that's a, a reason or an excuse or anything, but I would be pretty frustrated. Yeah, no, I can see that, but I mean, I, that's kind of what I was thinking about maybe a third of the way through this movie was maybe she just doesn't give a shit and she's just sort of doing this movie to, she's just reading her lines to get it over with. I don't know. It just felt like she was just sort of very much not interested whatsoever in actually being in the film at all. So, I don't know. No, it's, 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 it's a real bad movie. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I didn't... Yeah. I didn't think it was because of any specific actors. It was no, just like... It, it, it was just sort of... What is even happening? Yeah, I mean... There's, you know, there's the problem with certain scenes lasting far too long and certain scenes that just sort of cut off, you know, before they make any sense. And everything just feels very disjointed and lots of stuff remains unexplained. And I guess it's supposed to be implied or maybe they shot scenes about it, but then had to cut them. So things make even less sense than they did with the final product, or than they would have had the scenes not been cut, I guess. So it's just, it's a disjointed mess. Yeah, I, uh... I'm a little curious what the other cuts are like, but I not enough to to sit through this two more times. Yeah, I like it's 
I, I think I'm done with this movie with the sound on. Um, if I can cut out all the visually boring scenes and watch like a 30 minute background thing that's just all of the Muppet focus <laughs> scenes that I might have that on, but it's not that. Yeah, it, you know what, if you love this movie, more power to you. It probably means you're smarter than me. <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, and I, I think whatever they're shooting for, they missed, at least to me. But I didn't hate it because it was at least weird enough that I was interested all throughout. Mm the ones. Yeah, I don't know. And that's about the best I can give it. <laughs> yeah. I I had to pay money to watch this because it's not on like Netflix or Hulu or whatever. Uh, I regret that decision. Uh, not a lot, I hope. No, it was three bucks to rent it. Okay. So, sorry, I will reimburse. That's okay. You don't have to do that. <laughs> we we came to the decision together to uh, to watch this movie. So. There's, there's no reason for you to have to think about recompense for this. I mean, it is. Wow, this is a scary movie that I'm watching Tober. <laughs> so... <laughs> we gotta stick with the theme. But, you know, next year, maybe let's just Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. I know, we, there, there are definitely, I, when I was looking through other films, like sort of scary movies or Halloween movies, I, I was looking through a bunch of them, and I thought, oh, those would have all been much better to watch than this one. <laughs> Now I know why it's famously bad, and that's a piece of knowledge that I'll keep with me long after I've, you know, wasted way more time than I wasted watching this movie anyway, so... Yeah, there is that much, at least. I, I consider it worth it. There is that much. Like, there, there is... There's definitely this this sort of morbid curiosity that I have about all of these, like, supposedly or actually legitimately terrible movies that, like, I do want to see them. 
Let me, I want to find the, uh, the, I want to find this list, uh, that has, like, a, like, a, a good list of, like, the supposedly worst movies ever made, and this one's on. Yeah, and it's, it's actually culturally relevant, because a lot of people know about, like, I'm curious about... The Crow 2 from myself, mm-hmm. but it's not like a big enough part of the cultural zeitgeist it's worth seeing. Yeah. I feel like Exorcist 2 is famously bad, yeah. so now it's a thing I know. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are like other movies like, like Ishtar or. Like, I've seen Howard the Duck a long time ago. I want to see that again. Because that is a famously terrible movie. Or, like, Mommy Dearest. Uh, not Leonard Part 6, because that has Bill Cosby in it. Yeah, but the ones people have heard of. Well, yeah. they don't pay for it. Yeah, or like, um... I mean, he's he's in jail. He's not getting any <laughs> money at this point. Oh, it's Highland. What, what bums me out is when I'm accidentally supporting people that are terrible mm. people. If he's, if he's dying in jail, it's fine. Like, he's not getting any yeah. True. Or... Uh, that, that is a huge bummer, yeah. though. I like that show, even. Yeah. But, yeah, certain, certain, like, particularly well-known terrible movies uh, are definitely, oh, Batman and Robin. That's another one. We didn't watch our yearly Batman film. I should have probably done that with Anthony a while ago, huh? Yeah. Well, you've got got two more. You've got uh, Batman Returns, which is actually pretty good. Or Batman Robin, which is a worse version of Batman Forever. (laughs) And then, so the, there's the, the uh, Christopher Nolan versions also, right? And the... Yeah, but I think those get to actually pretty good movies, oh. which is less a... Uh, oh, I think Batman 89 is pretty good, too. So yeah. I don't know. And then, I mean... Whatever you there want. is always the the Adam. If you just want to watch a movie every year for the next ten years, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is also the the Adam West Batman movie, which I would definitely like to watch at some point. Well, you can borrow my uh, the Batman versus Dracula animated movie. I really... <laughs> okay. 
and Mask of the Phantasm, which I think is actually really good. I've heard a lot of good things about that. I've never seen it, but I've heard it's a very good movie. That, that's it's a movie based on the animated series, animated, new animated series from the uh, Dietrich-Lessy studio that made like Big Gun, Rusty Board Robot, Jack Chan Adventures, and Men in Black, and Godzilla, those guys mm-hmm. made a Batman series, and Batman vs. Dracula is a movie based on that one, which is good for Halloween, because Dracula's in it. Was, wait, what was that? It knows it's silly, so it's better than it sounds. What was that? Like, um, it, it's having fun with it. Was that one, um... What was that series called? Was that The Brave and the Bold? No, that was The Batman. Oh, okay. There's Batman, the animated series, The Batman, Batman Brave and the Bold, Batman Beyond. And then, like, yeah, Batman Beyond is one, and then Justice League, half the merch is about Batman. And then there's 30 others. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's like Ninja Turtles. That franchise gets rebooted every couple of years. It's always coming. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Hmm. Neat. Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, <laughs> Mothman. No, um, um, The Exorcist Two, Pazuzu Rising, The Heretic, and now we have watched it. And if you would like to watch it with us, you might get slightly more out of this podcast. You also don't need to do that. <laughs> up I'm pretty sure we covered the movie better than the movie covered itself. Well, they're missing some of the visuals. just want to look for the two-minute clip of James Earl Jones in the <laughs> Locust Luchador outfit. Uh, that I can't reproduce audibly. So that's... Yeah. That's worth it. Uh, the rest is not. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Alright. Well, that was, that was, hey, this movie's scaring me. Why did you make me watch this scary movie, Tober? Um, <laughs> a little bit. 
Thanksgiving theme movie. I'm just gonna do a movie in November. Why not? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it just it went poorly. I don't know. This was well. I mean, a whole thing. I mean, this movie wasn't really about Halloween. If you really think, if you want to get like that, like, this movie was not about Halloween. It was supposed to be a scary movie, and Halloween doesn't necessarily have to be scary, but, you know. So thanks. So November should be a about autumn or gluttony or family time. Sure. But not about Thanksgiving specifically. I mean, it doesn't have to be. But I mean, I mean, what I'm just saying is that just because this movie wasn't about Halloween doesn't mean that a movie that's about Thanksgiving is also going to be bad. Because... It could be, it could be oh, good. Yeah. You never know. Also, I mean, depending on how much you want to get Thanksgiving, it's either a problematic holiday anyway, or a nothing holiday of no cultural value where we just eat. True. Which is what I like about it, but we don't need to focus on it. It's yeah. fine. I'll get like pie. <laughs> Sorry, that's just that's my analysis of it. But we're gonna do a we're I don't know what we're gonna do yet, but it's not anything particularly thematic. <laughs> but we hope you enjoyed. Thoughts moved over. <laughs> I think that's it. That's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Insert original name that isn't spooked over. <laughs> Perfect. Cut it, print it, send it to the press. That's what we're calling it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well, until next time, please vote if you can. Yes. 
to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash matineemanities. If you'd like to support the show, consider becoming a patron. Donations start at just $1 a month, and half of all proceeds after hosting costs will go towards actual manatee habitat preservation. You can listen to Matinee Manatees on iTunes, the Stitcher app, and YouTube. Our music was composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find this track and much more on his website, incompetech.com. <laughs>